So in lesson one, two, and three, we learned that the Holy Spirit's a person. He's not a flame. He's not a wind. He's not. Now, he's done these things, and he's manifested in fashions, but people have called him these things and called him even, as the scripture says in Romans 8, uh, 26, I believe, is the spirit itself uh, there himself as in prayer and then another place the spirit itself bears witness and you and I we all know that it's he it's him it is not it that was very well established and everybody was already on board with that anyway and then we studied his characteristics going deeper into his personality and how he can be grieved and uh, the different ways in the in you know there's so much about him and I know that I do this a lot where I rabbit so we just trust God goes with the rabbit trail um, the, there's so much about the Holy Spirit you have no idea how many scriptures I had to cross off of notes time and time again because each time I would have kept you three hours on just the individual subject. But what I have been aware of, the, the, the thing that was what I guess if you call it a burden, I would say more an unction or a desire of my heart as we began this, I was so thankful that Pastor asked me to share and I immediately knew what, what I wanted to share that I felt was from the Lord that's been in my heart for a very long season and that is that we learn about the person of the Holy Spirit and not just look at him as being the one that might give us a feeling or come and hit us with power or occasionally some gift of the Spirit comes, but understand living and dwelling with him. Even as Jesus dwelt with the disciples, and one of the first things we discussed was how when he said, I'm going to give you a comforter, I'm going to go away, you and I read that, and we just think, oh, yeah, I know about that. The advocate, standby, advocate, uh, helper, comforter, uh, teacher. We know those things. They didn't. For them, here's Jesus walking with them daily, helping them overcome difficulties, taking on the Pharisees when the Pharisees came and tried to confuse him and cause trouble. And now he's saying, oh, I'm going to leave. But then we, we established through teaching that he said, I'm going to leave another, which means someone in the same kind. He will be in the same kind. And even better, because he's going to be in you. He said, now he's with you, but he will be in you. So it's, you know, the Godhead, you cannot separate them. And on this subject, the most about the Holy Spirit on communing, how do we commune with the Holy Spirit? And this part, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit overlapped continuously as I studied. Uh, I could not make a separation. But I know that in the earth, it is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, revealing Jesus and showing the things of the Father and that Jesus has taught unto us via the Holy Spirit. But they, they work together. They all move together. The Trinity is a beautiful and a wonderful, really, mystery to unfold. Okay, communion with the Holy Spirit. So um, in lesson four, if you would like to go along on the sheet with me, communion with the Holy Spirit we can hear the Holy Spirit, we can follow the Holy Spirit, we can obey the Holy Spirit. We may even manifest his gifts moving through us, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that he gives those gifts as he wills, but they're given to every man, every man, verse 7, 12 verse 7, to profit with all. Not for the man to be exalted or the person to be exalted or be noticed. It is given to every man to bring profit. And later on, he says that you do this so that the church would be edified, which means to be built. 
to be built up. So that's the purpose. But you see, without fellowship and communion with him, we don't realize that this happens, that these movings of God happen through those that have made their lives and hearts friendly to the Lord. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord, is it First Chronicles 16 something, 9, thank you, where it says that the eyes of the Lord went to and fro looking upon the earth to see whose heart is made, and the King James says, perfect before him, that he may show himself mighty. And that word perfect is actually the word friendly. God is looking for people. You know, God wants to be wanted. He wants to be wanted, just like we do. He wants someone that wants to listen to him, just like we like people to listen to us. Okay. For all of these things that we see about following, obeying, overcoming, manifesting even the gifts, the avenue for all of these is communion with the Holy Spirit. Now, actually, if you were to do a study on, I had a, a class in grammar school, actually, I had this wonderful teacher that taught us about word cells and that you can divide a word up and each section of that word has a meaning. And C-O-M means with... And union means with unity and oneness. So communion means with oneness, even in a natural, uh, worldly point of view. But what is it to have communion with the Holy Spirit? And we see under A, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And in this verse, we notice that the entire Godhead is mentioned in Paul's benediction here. And it's interesting because one of the chief problems that the Corinth church was having, which really is very much like the days we live in now, very busy city, um, a lot of uh, idolatry, a lot was going in and out because they were a port city and a lot went in and out, a lot of false idols. And the Christians had a lot to battle there. And they were having factions and division and challenges that Paul was correcting on a regular basis. And he's even saying that in this chapter that has this wonderful last verse, he's talking about that if things aren't laid straight, he's going to have to come and basically rebuke directly. So he's giving this really strong word, but then his heart, by the unction of the Spirit, says... The grace of the Lord, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And it's interesting because that is a statement of the Trinity. That's one of the best pictures in the New Testament of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. But when I was young in the Lord, and I was studying my Bible, I think I was in Bible school at the time, and so I was studying quite a bit, I remember reading this and saying, communion with the Holy Spirit? I'd never heard anybody even say that. And I was around people that were considered word people. And I had never heard that mentioned. And I had a hunger to know about that. And I'm giving my own testimony now. And then later, when I was watching some Catherine Kuhlman films, and I know my grandmother had been healed at one of her meetings in Oakland, and as I was watching her films, she would talk about the Holy Spirit and him being her friend. And then that's, that put another uh, hunger in my heart to understand what it meant to have a closeness with the Holy Spirit uh, within. And that's why I've said that sometimes we look up and we praise God as we should, but that we need, especially in getting intimate with him, we need to recognize and focus on the God that's within us. Okay, so, and also this word, communion, kononia, and I've not given you every single thing that it means. I'm, I've highlighted things that I felt were really important. Kononia, you're used to hearing that phrase, aren't you? Many churches are named kononia, or kononia fellowship. And it means association, community, fellowship, joint participation. It also means intimacy. It's also translated fellowship often. 
It's also the same word communion that we just read about the Holy Ghost as when Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about having and taking communion. And so it's the same word used there. In Philippians 2, in where I'm, we're going to read this scripture, the word fellowship is also the word koinonia in this verse. And Paul says, If there be therefore, Philippians 2, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Again, having a challenge with getting a people group in the church in unity and in love. And you notice that he is, he is comparing being able to have fellowship with the Spirit with being having love, not being, but having love, like-mindedness, and unity also. And I believe that a church that is divided or has factions will not be prolific in the moving of the Spirit or the presence of God because God flows in this unity. And the Holy Spirit is united with the Father and with the Son. And so everything about God's moving is about unity. And I wanted to read that, 2 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified. 1 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace, favor, and spiritual blessing, the first verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 13. The grace, favor, and spiritual blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the presence and fellowship, the communion and sharing together and participation in the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen, and so be it. And that's revelatory. We can't walk in strife. Have you ever thought of this? And I know Pastor has probably seen this more times than he wishes, but people are persons that choose to walk in strife in a certain area of their life or with a certain person or a certain problem that they they just have decided that's just the way I am, or I just don't like that person. But then they want to go to the Lord. We, I would say we. We want to go to the Lord in prayer and talk to the Lord and have our prayer answered. That's not going to happen. <laughs> There's a hindrance in our communion and relation with God. There's a cut in the cord it's coming through, I, I like to call the Holy, look at the Holy Spirit as being like God's nervous system. The head is Jesus, and, and the mind of Christ flows through the Holy Spirit into us for us to walk as a united body and to walk after his um, directions. Hallelujah. Way, now here we're going to get practical. Ways that we can commune. How can you commune? Now, here is where I found I could not separate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in communing, having unity. And there's a couple ways I want to talk to you about it. One we're very used to, but I think we probably don't take the time for. Tonight, I stopped by because my throat was sore and I didn't have decaf coffee at home. And I stopped at a Starbucks to, to get a decaf to have the warmth for my throat. And... Um, because I'm very anti-spending my money there anymore. I can make real good coffee at home, but I need a decaf so that I would be able to sleep after one in the morning <laughs> tonight. So I walked in, and there were a brother and a sister at a table. I, I kind of talked to the sister a little bit while I was waiting for my coffee. He had two computers in front of him. She had one computer in front of her. They were both apples, and then he had like a smaller like an iPad kind, and then she had a, like a 6-plus iPhone that she had open with earbuds discussing something with somebody there while she had her homework and her computer. 
And I thought, Lord, save us. Lord, help us. Twitter, Facebook. Give me some more. What are other ones? Instagram. What else? Snapchat. Email. I'm telling you, Gmail, email. I believe we need to start getting jealous over our time. We have what I call beautiful evil. It doesn't look real evil, but it will rob you and steal from you. And the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe that we need to be cautious over these things and wise. And I pray that God help our young people to know. Okay, ways we can commune. I'm going to talk about two different types. A, we can dedicate undistracted time to commune. This includes listening, praying, and worshiping, or, and here's a new one for some of us, total silence. How hard is it when we have silence in the church when there's the power of God that you wait and you just wonder when someone just can't take it anymore and has to go, hallelujah, you know, it's awkward. But if we wait, like last week we waited, the Lord said he had a gift he wanted to move, and we waited. It didn't make me nervous at all. And, And I noticed everybody relaxed when I said we don't need to be nervous, and everybody relaxed, and the Lord had his way, didn't he? And so, but in your own quiet time, it's actually, it can be a skill to learn to be still and to be silent. In fact, the Lord ministered to me uh, a scripture we're going to read here in a minute. But I want to talk to you first about, about the practical. You need to find a place that you make the place you own for fellowship and quietness before the Lord. Now, my husband has a nice chair in the living room, and I can go in there, and I have many times in the, if it's the middle of the night, and, and gone there and use the ottoman, and I can pray. And usually it's when I've got prayer intercession for someone and God gives me a word or just understanding or I just need to pray a little bit. That doesn't happen a lot. I do sleep a lot, okay? But, but you know what? When I'm in my bedroom, in my side of the bed, with my computer there, I can play music, or if I need to look up the def, I like to look up words. I love to look up in concordance online. It's so easy, so fast. I love to look up meanings of words. And um, so I like to have that handy and have, you know, Bibles, a Bible or two around, and a notebook, and then a journal for personal journal. And I have all my stuffy there. And I've been there, I've done it so many times because my husband's retired, we're both home. So I need to be in the other room. And I've done it so many times that I find that if I'm actually in another part of the house, I don't relax as well. And I don't sit still as well. And that that is a place for me. And it's okay. If your place of being before the Lord to commune, to be one with him, to get yourself quiet, to be still, to worship, we enter his gates with praise and into his courts with singing and come before the Lord, whether it's a chair or it's on your face or maybe you lay in bed and pray for an hour. I lay in bed and pray five minutes and fall asleep. So that doesn't work for me. <laughs> or you want to go and sit out. My husband likes to be on the patio if it's not freezing or if, if for you, you need to go once a week and go to the mountains and sit by a tree. Whatever it is for you is okay. You find, don't copy someone else. You find what works for you in being alone with God. And then this next word, verse, I actually did a teaching on this, I think the last time I taught um, here, and that was Psalm 46.10. And it is, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I w- no, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And it, it, we tore that apart in, in study before, but the definition of being still is to let drop, um, abandon, relax, refrain, forsake, and let go and be still. 
So if I'm holding on to something, if, if someone, honey, grab my arm, grab my arm, and I say, let go, and he keeps grabbing, then it's not working. I let go. And sometimes that's how difficult it is for us to let go of what we're thinking about, what we've been doing, our concerns, our frets, but we have to let go and be still before God. And it sounds so simple, but you would be surprised how challenging it can be in our society especially. And he says abandon. You know, one thing I've learned about worship and about prayer, if you want to go deep, and by the way, Pastor Anthony, there's something so special about when you worship with us, when you lead. And every worshiper has a different flavor and a different type of anointing. And, and he just has that kind where you just want to cry. <laughs> Real worship, you just want to stop and just cry before God. And um, I, I, re- I love it. I, I'm Please do it more often in all the other things that you're not busy with. <laughs> Um, uh, I found out something about the word abandon. God taught me this about prayer. And then a friend of mine that was a worship leader taught me this about worship. That when you really, that's why, well, when you really get deep in prayer and you really get deep in worship, it's all about abandonment. You abandon yourself. All the things that are holding you to earthly Earth, that are holding you into earthly thoughts, you just, you just let it go. You completely fall into God without any concern where you're going to land. And I will tell you, some of the deepest places in prayer that I've ever been have been when I have prayed like that, and there's this place I know that the Lord wants to take me that I haven't been, and I just go. You know, you can pull back even in prayer. Did you know that? Especially when you're praying in the spirit and when you're praying with the prayer group. That's why it's very, very important. Praying in a prayer group is actually very different than praying alone. And I, it's very good to me being in a small prayer group because you learn each other, you learn to trust each other, and then you can go deep. Because if you have to stop and think about what this one might think, what this one might say, this one doesn't believe in that, you know, if, you, if, that, if that happens, it'll keep you earthbound. And you won't be able to go as deep in the spirit as the Lord might take you. And there's another rabbit trail. She just took a rabbit trail. Okay. Back to communing with the Holy Spirit. Well, that was about abandoning, abandoning, and that is very important. And I, I feel that there is no way to talk about the Holy Spirit who has come upon every believer. And as, Leroy, I was so glad you proved with the book of Acts, which I know is true, that when they received the Holy Spirit, they received their prayer language as well. They were not separate events. And I have said before that if a Baptist doesn't speak in tongues, but they're born again, they still have the Holy Spirit. They just have not activated that particular gift that is within them in the Holy Spirit. So it's very challenging for me to talk about the Holy Spirit and not talk about prayer. Because when he came, they prayed in tongues, and they, when he came into the earth to not just visit and fall upon, fall upon prophet, priest, and king, he came to dwell within, which is why Jesus said, it's better I go away because I want to come and live inside you via the Holy Spirit. That's why he, but you have to, and we did, we did discover how frightening that really was for them to hear that. And they didn't get it until the day of Pentecost. And then they understood. Now we know what he was talking about. And yet they still obeyed him and waited, didn't they? But I will say that out of 500, only 120 showed up. A lot of times we don't think about that part. 500 saw him raised from the dead. People came out of the graves. I can't imagine what the local newspaper said at that time, or reporters. Anyway, it's amazing. So that's our private communion time, and I believe we need to set a time. Now, if you miss a day... Don't spend two more days beating yourself up because now the enemy has come 
and robbed you, got you off the wall. I always tell people, if you get off the wall, if you fall, repent and get back on the wall. Because the time you sit moaning and groaning and feeling bad about when you missed it and fell off the wall or fell off your, I'm going to pray 40 minutes a day, and you fall off of that mission that you had, that is wasted time. And the time the enemy is sitting around laughing, saying, oh, goody. I not only got them to stumble, I'm keeping them now in the mud, unhappy about their lives, and they're not pressing forward, so now they're no trouble to me. So um, get up fast. You know, a just man falls and seven times rises up again. The Lord gave me that when I was getting off of drugs. You fall, if you fall, you just get up and go again. Just get up. Every time you fall, you get up. And he told me, he, I actually, this is one time I actually heard the voice of the Lord. He said, Becky, I'm not looking at how often you fall. I'm looking at how often you get up. And um, that's what he sees. Hallelujah. You know, tonight, I'm sidetracking again. How are we doing on time? Oops. Um, I was talking to my son on the phone, and I told him I was teaching on the Holy Spirit, you know, because he'd called for another reason and we discussed I said well I need to go I'm teaching at the church and I'm teaching on the Holy Spirit and he goes oh are you going to teach how the Holy Spirit rats you out I said what (laughs) but I knew what he meant and he goes yeah he goes you know like when the Holy Spirit would tell you things about us and then you'd find out and know stuff and I said I said yeah he goes he goes I know it sounds like a negative term uh, rat you out he goes but actually it's very good because that allowed the Holy Spirit to fix some things that needed to be fixed. And I said, well, which story do you want me to tell? When he ratted out your brother or he ratted out you? <laughs> he goes, I don't watch. He goes, I don't care if you mention my name at all. <laughs> don't mention it at all. It's okay. But anyway, the Lord would tell me things. And actually, it would help my children. Because it would be something that would be really a spirit trying to gravitate and take hold of them. And because the Lord revealed it to me, when I talked to them, then they would either cry or just say it out, and then I would pray with them, and it would end up being helpful. So anyway, it is important to be able to hear the Holy Spirit and and to be able to have that as a parent is very important. So the one way is in this private, quiet time. You cannot separate it, I believe, from, from calling it prayer time. Uh, but I think in prayer time, and I think most of the people in this room this would not apply to, but a lot of Christians do not understand that prayer time is not just asking God for what you want. It is a communication, and it's a time of, I think, being still. The Bible says God is in heaven above, and it's, it's more um, important that we listen rather than speak. I'm going to find this scripture. You're just going to need to wait for me. You don't mind waiting a moment, do you? Okay. It's in Ecclesiastes 5.2. It used to be in my Bible. I'm in an unfamiliar Bible. Okay. Here it is. I used to love to share this. Uh, The Lord gave me this actually when I was invited to preach on intercession one time. And he gave me this scripture. And first of all, before I got this scripture, studying it out, he said, the problem I have with my children when it comes to intercession and prayer is that they talk, but they don't listen. And this is uh, what it says in Ecclesiastes 5. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with your mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth, therefore let your words be few. In other words, he's saying what God has to say is more important than what we have to say. It's very important that we listen to him. Okay, the second way to commune. Now, this is the one that I believe God wants us trained in that most of us are not used to. And um, that is to endeavor, this is under ways to commune, number two, and under B. We can endeavor to be aware of his presence as we walk throughout the day. 
Have you ever been in a room full of people and there was lots of noise and inside you were talking to God? God wants this to be a normal way of life for us, to be listening to him. Um, one of the things I used to love to do when my house was noisy, having boys and them having their friends over and all kinds, when they were teenagers and all kinds of things going on, is I would like to get in my car, even if I had to go to the store, and my car became my prayer closet. It became my way of, of having time to really be still and listen to him. But I also know that in the middle of many times of crisis in my life, where I would be in a situation that I could not get out of, and I was surrounded by people, and I would have to cry out to God inside to be able to hear his voice. And I don't even want to tell you what those situations were, but they were hard. And I would cry out to God, and the Holy Spirit within me would give me peace and would speak to me. And I know that I know that we can walk with him. But what we need to remember is that the Spirit and the Word agree. The Holy Spirit repeats the Scripture. He speaks what is Scripture. And how can you even judge whether or not you're hearing from God if you are not familiar with the Word of God? You don't have a way to judge whether or not it's error or it's truth. You know, it's very um, a big responsibility, really, to prophesy, even to exhort, but to prophesy even more so because you get two words and then you step out on a limb and you're not sure where it's going. And as the words come in my head, I try to run it all through the grid of the Bible as I'm going. So that if I hear something before it gets out my mouth that I know isn't scriptural, I stop. And uh, it's very important to also have a deeper communion. I didn't put this in here, but to know the word of God. So um, this I do need to read, 1 Corinthians 6.19. I want to read it in the Amplified. As far as him being inside of us and that we can have him directing us, consulting him. And we did talk about, kind of in a funny way, about how the Holy Spirit being a person, being our friend, living within us. How would it be if I took my sister Jeannie and I said, come on, you're going to be with me all day. And I went and picked her up and didn't say hello. Went to breakfast and never said anything while we were eating. And then got in the car and went someplace and planned on doing something and never acted like she was there. And so this is the way we need to stop and think, do I treat the Holy Spirit that way? And anyway, that he can be with you wherever you go as the sanctuary, 1 Corinthians six nineteen in the Amplified. Do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? Jesus said, I pray the Father and he will give the comforter. Jesus asked, but it was the Father who gave. Hallelujah. It's a, he's a gift from God, and you are not your own. You are a walking sanctuary. You're a walking temple. You know, when I was in Starbucks and I talked to that little girl a little bit, I put my hand on her shoulder, and uh, I was hoping that maybe the conversation would proceed, but it didn't, but I just kind of loved on her in the way that I could. And when I left, I prayed, and I said, God, you're in me. The power of the Holy Spirit is in me, and I believe that through that touch, the Holy Spirit will minister to her, and then prayed more labors would come her way. We need to realize that even when you touch someone, God in you is touching them. Real important when you're shaking people's hands or hugging them when you meet them. Hallelujah. Because you might not be able to preach, but you can release by faith the presence and the power of God. Okay. We want to practice awareness of his presence. Okay. So how many of you know that this is real basic and simple about spending time and communing with the Holy Spirit and God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son. And being together in this communion, and then I think where, if anything, we could increase is in the listening, in the worshiping, 
and in the time of silence. Um, I have a big binder of prayers. We have some we go through together. I have certain people I pray for, not every day, but maybe every second, third day. And I have a lot of printed out prayers that we pray because I believe in agreeing on the word of God. God watches over his word to perform it. But if you're going to really commune, you're going to have to have those times where you're not talking and God is able to um, imbibe into you. I remember being 27 or 20, 27 or 28, and we were getting ready to go on a mission trip soon with Bob Curry. And I had great respect for him, and it was to Finland in like 1983. And I don't know if it was before or after, but I was busily studying for, I taught ladies Bible study for like three years every Tuesday, every Tuesday. So I would fast on Monday, prepare on Monday. I had got my strongs out. I did everything. You know, I was very works-oriented, not even realizing I was. And he looked at me and he goes, Becky, you need to learn how to let the Holy Spirit diffuse into you. I was like, okay. I know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and I only had one year of college, but I'm pretty sure that I don't know what that word means, and I need some help here. So I went, oh, okay, Bob. And then after he left, I ran and got my dictionary. And, and what it means is when something basically pours into and settles down and comes and, and flows into you. And I added something to my preparation that really helped me. I would do my studying. I would do my praying. I would get my, I'd usually have 25 scriptures and get them all together. And then I would pray in the spirit for maybe an hour. And then I would just sit. And be, just be in his presence. And I could tell a difference in my life after that. And a difference in my sharing and preaching the word of God. Because it was like supernatural power and love and just his presence pouring into me. And it, it, it became a very important part of my preparation. Okay, I'm moving on now. We can stir up the Holy Ghost in us. I'm going to move through these a little bit quickly because I want to get to, um, we're in number three on page two, the results of communion. Spending time with God, learning to walk where you don't break fellowship. You don't leave church and then all of a sudden God's out the window and I'll, I'll get more spiritual an hour before church on Sunday again. You know what I'm saying? And I know you people aren't like that or you wouldn't be here. But I'm talking about a, a kind of a habit of the flesh. Because the flesh is enmity, we learned that already, against God. And whatever we give attention to is what we're going to crave. And we also learned that, right, from Romans chapter 8. Okay, here's some benefits. A, we can stir and release the Holy Spirit within us. We, you have power to release the Holy Spirit in you, or you can sit on it. Him. And that's which is within you. What did Paul call Timothy? Stir up the gifts that are in you. Stir it up. Okay, well, I know that reading the word might stir it up because it gets you provoked. In fact, someone told me this and I learned it and I do it. When you get dried out and you can't pray and you get all frustrated because you're trying to pray and you can't pray, stop praying. Go read. Read. Because the reading is listening to him and pretty soon you're going to want to say something back. And then you, can, you will ignite in prayer. So when your prayer life shrinks, increase your reading and your, the portion of, of listening to him, and then you're going to have something to say back. It will fill you, and then you will want to have a two-way conversation, and you won't even realize that you've entered into it. It'll just be totally natural, and you'll stop frustrating yourself. Okay. We can, he said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And one way this can be done is by praying in the spirit in tongues. And the Amplified says that you can flow in a continuous springs and rivers. Well, if you stir up and you have a river, how do you believe you might release that river? Holashurama katurandavasanda. 
I would like to go on a whole teaching just on tongues right now and the importance and the lack of understanding the church has given unto this wonderful, wonderful gift that came with Holy Spirit when he was imparted into the church. So we can stir up and we can pray in the spirit. We let those rivers flow. And also in the last days, God has said that he will fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's in Numbers 14.23 and Habakkuk 2.4, I believe. Anyway, how's he going to do it? How's he going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea? With the glory of the Lord. Well, the glory of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, shines in the face of Jesus. But if you have a flood of this, and, and he's in us. But as if you have a flood and you have many, many rivers and we all have rivers and we put our rivers together and we begin to pray and God is wanting to get the church to have more and more intercession. I hear the Lord crying around the earth, blowing a trumpet to raise up intercessors and he's blowing and he's crying. It's like, it's like he's saying, wake up and wake up and pray and pray and pray and let my spirit pray. Because he's the only one that knows how to do it all right. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But as we pray in the spirit, our rivers are flowing. And what happens if you get too many rivers? Do you think maybe you might get a flood? Hallelujah. So he's going to flood the earth with the, with the glory of the Lord. But it's not going to happen without prayer. Hallelujah. Also, Romans 5, 5. I love this one. I love this scripture. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, I, I, I was sort of disliking that I was taking scriptures and not going through the whole context through here. But to pinpoint what we're talking about, I sort of had to yield to doing that anyway. But right here, think about this. He says, the love of God, not the love of you, not your love. Our love fails. Our love gets up, get, gives up. Our love gets tired. Our love gets selfish. But not God's love. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, when something is shed, it means to bestow, I have that definition there, or to distribute largely. Now, how do you imagine, if you see rain shed off of something, how does the shedding take place? You know, it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a verb, it's an action. And I believe that also as you're praying, and I'll prove it with another scripture right here, we are enlarged in the love of God as we are stirring up and releasing this communion with the Holy Spirit. And I cannot help but say, and yielding to letting the Holy Spirit speak out of us. Let the rivers out. Let them flow. Trust him. If you don't get the interpretation, even because we should get interpretation, even in our own private time. You should ask God to give you interpretation and to give you prophecies and to give you understanding and visions. My, my interpretation largely comes through vision. My understanding in prayer comes largely through vision, and then I understand it. But however God moves through you, you trust him. Let him move. Don't hold him back. Don't get religious. Don't try to be like someone else. Just make sure your Bible scriptural. Hallelujah. Okay. So we can be enlarged in God's love where we are lacking God's love. See, we are edified by praying in the spirit. And now listen to this, Jude 20 and 21. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, stop right there. Number one, edifying. Building up. That's the same word as the word edifying as in building a building. So when you pray in the spirit, you are building up yourself. And you're probably building the church as well. See, the Holy Spirit can move on more than one plane at the same time. 
Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now listen to the next one. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. There again, you have the moving of the Holy Spirit along with the love of God coming forth. So he can be shed abroad, and when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you can keep yourself in the love of God. In other words, he will check you. He will check you in the Spirit. Have you ever started to go to prayer or go to worship at church, and all of a sudden you start repenting of everything that's wrong that you've done, that you haven't repented of, and you get right? Because getting close to God means you immediately get close to getting clean. Hallelujah. And it's all free. Glory to God. Also, another good result of communion with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit may speak and give instruction and even prophecy and even the gifts of the Spirit. Acts 13, 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Verse 3 said they had the fasting and the prayer and actually in, in uh, Amplified, when it says they ministered to the Lord, it means they worshiped the Lord. Okay, now that's about what that can happen to us. Give instruction. It gave them guidance. Let them know they were to go together and where they were to go. And it came as a prophetic word. Now I want to talk about, and actually I'm going to have, uh, Brother Roger, do you want me to, I can't bring the mic back there, so can you come up here? I, uh, I really have felt that it's important, uh, I love to hear the word of God read, and I just asked him to read this next scripture for us. Now we're going to talk about how what we do with the Holy Spirit affects unbelievers. You just go be free. Okay, this is Acts 4, we're just going to start at verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which had become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, my brother. Now, that was when they had the healing of the man at the gate beautiful, correct? Um, I want to go there real quick. Okay. And you know, Peter was the one who had gone off and run off out of fear when that woman recognized him as being someone that had been with Jesus. And then after he's full of the Holy Spirit... What happens? He becomes bold. And I want to rehearse this one scripture. I, I just, I love, Roger, I knew that I was right to ask you to read that. That was, his voice was lovely to listen to, wasn't it? Um, you can tell when people love the word of God. Uh, then Peter, see, the man at the gate beautiful was healed by Peter and John. They said, you know, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, give we thee in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And as soon as that happened and the people were all marveling over this, well, then the Pharisees showed up, you know, and they want to bring in uh, the military commander of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And the beginning of that scripture was Peter being filled because he was filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then all those powerful words you heard were because he was filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The very one that everybody thought left Jesus, that they even judged, that when he said, go get my disciples, he had to tell them, and Peter, and Peter, like, don't forget Peter because he's not with you anymore. Go get him too. 
And here he's the first one to preach on the day of Pentecost on what God is doing in the earth and what this means that the Holy Spirit has come and fallen and given the gift. Why? Because the Holy Spirit emboldened him. Hallelujah. And he was full of the Spirit. And verse 13 in the Amplified. I just want to read this. This was what happened to these educated. This man was a fisherman. And he just got in their face and said, you crucified Jesus. And he's the only way to get saved. Because they had so many idols and gods, they they didn't want any other names being floated around town. They didn't want Jesus talked about. And they they knew that whenever something happened, it came from a, a deity. So they wanted to know what was the name of the deity that you're using here. And they didn't like it when it was Jesus, whom they said very pointedly, as Roger read, (laughs) you crucified him. Okay, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness and the unfettered eloquence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and untrained in the schools, common men with no educational advantages, they marveled. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. But earlier, the Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You see, you can't disconnect the connection between Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. And then, so we can stir and we can release, we can enlarge in our love, we can be edified by praying in the Spirit and keep, and, and, and keep ourselves in the love of God. We can get instruction and have the Holy Spirit's gifts move through us. We can cause unbelievers to notice that we have been with Jesus, that there's something that is not natural about what they see in us. And then the last one is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole world, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last book that Paul wrote before uh, the time of him leaving the earth and um, before his death, martyrdom. He wrote this book. And he had gone to trial. And one of the other things that you receive as a result of communion with the Holy Spirit is this. Our intimate relationship with him will sustain us through crisis, through any crisis. The first time I read this, I actually cried uh, when I saw this. And I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified, starting at verse 16. Paul said, At my first trial, no one acted in my defense as an advocate, which would be a lawyer or took my part, or even stood with me. All the brethren, everybody that knew him, everybody that had received from him, and now he's alone. But all forsook me. Let's say that again, the word. All forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Now that's the love of God. But the Lord The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the gospel message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was delivered out of the jaws of the lion. Now, you might say, well, I don't see the name of the Holy Spirit written there. Well, he said, the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. Ephesians 2.16 says, may you be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in your inner man. So his strengthening of the Lord came by the Holy Spirit in him. And when he was all alone after being everything to the church and watching over them and them being his babies, and no one, probably from fear, stood with him at trial. But he said, oh, don't, I, I don't hold it against him. The Lord was with me, and he shut the mouth of the lion. You'll never, ever be alone. And that's the kind of communion the Lord wants us to know. You're never really alone. He's always there. And usually it is at the worst crisis of your life 
that you feel the most alone. And sometimes when people, out of fear of not knowing what to do, will even abandon you, even not even meaning evil, but he will always be there. Hallelujah. Amen. So conclusion, our goal from the beginning was to make a choice to learn more about the person of the Holy Spirit, how to be led by him, how to develop deeper communion, and to learn how to walk consistently in the Spirit, thereby to show the world by the power of the Spirit, Christ in us, and that our God is alive and he's real. Amen. And amen. Lord, move through us. Let the love be so strong that people can sense it even before we speak. Lord, that they recognize that you are moving and that you love them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Change us with these words. Let us meditate on these words. And Lord, I personally want to thank you for these precious sheep and for their blessing to me and their fellowship during these sessions and their faithfulness. And I ask you to bless them, Lord, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Yes, it's appropriate. I have a word from the Lord, and I don't, I want to say to uh, the editors when they edit this podcast that they leave this on there if it's possible, because I believe that the anointing over this should follow this teaching. We have talked so much in this church and taught so many times that you need to develop in your home a place where you go to pray. Now, the Bible speaks about going into your closet. I don't care if it's a closet particularly. It's your private place. And while I was sitting back there and I was listening to some of the best teaching you're ever going to hear on this subject, I heard the Holy Spirit say, there are some individuals in this room who are struggling with that, who have not done that. And as Becky was teaching, I just felt from the Lord to give you some practical instruction. This is the word of the Lord, but it's not, I'm not prophesying to you. I'm speaking to you what the Lord has instructed me to say. If you are coming to the end of your day and you're getting on your bed and you're laying on your pillow and saying, Lord, let's talk, and finding yourself going off into slumber, you are not bringing the Lord your very best. You're bringing him your leftover. And that is an unacceptable offering. He doesn't receive it. That's what Cain did. He brought an unacceptable offering. He did not bring the offering that the Lord desired. The offering that the Lord desires of us is always our best, not our leftover. And if we bring our leftover, he knows it, and we know it, even if no one else knows it. So the Lord is saying to carve out time that is primary time, not secondary time, to spend in his presence. The other thing is, if you're getting in your most comfortable chair and that makes you cozy and dozy, then you don't, when you're starting out in communion with God, you don't sit in your recliner to do it. Get a place that is not particularly as comfortable like a dining room chair rather than a recliner, get a pen and a paper. And the, the third instruction that I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me is you do not take your phone to your prayer time. You turn off your computer, you turn off your TV, unless you're using your computer to search the word, you turn off your computer, you turn off your television, you turn off your cell phone, they have an off switch. And they have a silent button. And they are, those are phenomenal technology. They turn off. Because God desires time with you. He does not desire time with your phone. Imagine what possible kind of emergency could take place in your 30 to 45 minutes of prayer that you could do anything about anyway if you had to hear about it 20 minutes later. There's just no personal excuse We're not so vitally important to the function of the earth that we cannot give God our time.
Now, I find time when I know my children are not likely to call me. I find time. Sometimes I go to bed and I rest and I get up in the middle of the night and I give God that time because that is the most uninterrupted time. And then I go back to bed about 4.30 or 5 in the morning and sleep for a couple more hours. But many, most people will find that if they get up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning and they give God a half hour, 40, 45 minutes of their time in prayer, uh, even 20 minutes of time in prayer, that it changes the dynamic of their entire day. But you don't do it in the if you If you're getting up and you're not used to getting up in four, at 4 in the morning, you and I both know that if you go take your Bible and you put a blanket over you and you sit in your recliner, you're going back to sleep. Give God your very best. Now, if that means that you have to carve out time, I know most of you work, so obviously do not take your employer's time to do your Bible study and your time with the Lord. You don't take your employer's time to do that. They're paying you to do your job. For the most part, you don't take your employer's time to evangelize. They're not paying you to do the work of the kingdom. They're paying you to do the work of the business. It's inappropriate. But on your break, the entire, the first congregation that I pastored, the entire time that I pastored there, I was bivocational, and all of my lunch and break time were spent in the word and in prayer for that that church and the word that I was to bring in those days and weeks that were ahead of me. All of that time was dedicated to the Lord because I had a family and time was of the utmost. And so I challenge you to begin to ask the Lord. And then I'm going to ask Becky, just hang out here uh, after we're done because this I feel by the Spirit. If you're going into your prayer time, and you are consistently find yourself feeling tired, you have a spirit of slumber that is so afraid you and God are going to get intimate. The, do you understand how fearful the enemy is that you and God are hanging out? Are you kidding me? He's terrified. The enemy never wanted me to hear from the Lord because if I didn't hear from God, I wouldn't know how to raise my kids. He was so afraid of the champions in the kingdom that I would raise to walk with God. And I have raised champions, but I have done it on my face, hearing from God every time there was a little issue in their life, including who they would marry. I knew before they married, they were marrying the right person because me and the Holy Spirit had had a conversation about it. But if you don't develop that, you get to those crisis bridges in your life and you can't hear the voice of the Lord because you've not cultivated the ability to do so. Many challenges that you're facing in your life, if you are not hearing from the Lord, you are going through those challenges and while he is going with you, he's dying to speak with you about it and you haven't cultivated a hearing ear. You do that by spending time with him, going to the word, And the first few times you do, you may not hear anything deep because you're cultivating an environment. But he that shall come will come and will not tarry. He will show up. You be faithful to the task and he will show up. The other thing is, if you have an environment in your home that is not welcoming to the Holy Spirit, you're having to pray and recultivate the environment. You, you all know if you spent any time in the prayer room that we've prayed down there in that little room for years. You can walk in there and you can pray in an instant. The anointing to pray rests in the environment that has been set in, in the spiritual realm. The Holy Spirit knows, I'm going to go pray in my office. The Holy Spirit knows, I'm going to go pray in that room down there. And the Holy Spirit knows we're going to pray in here. And that environment is set in the spiritual realm. You can go any, into any one of those three places in this house. You can have prayer in a minute. You can develop that same environment in your home somewhere. But if you make it so comfortable that that's your cozy place, that's not what you're trying to achieve. It was a long time before I would pray in my recliner or in the comfortable chair that I now pray in because it would put me to sleep. In the early days, I started praying on my knees across an ottoman. 
Should I tell the story about that? I had this ugly ottoman. Looking back, I can't believe we even purchased the thing. But it was one of those giant ottomans that replaced the coffee table. Set in the middle of my living room. In those days, I had a really bad back. And I began to cultivate prayer. And I would find that I would lay across that ottoman. How many can sleep when your back is hurting, right? So I think in those days, the Lord was forcing me to develop a prayer life. And I would lay across that ottoman in pain, and I would pray and cry out to God. And I would find myself praying in the Spirit and, and, and cultivating the experience. All right? I prayed at that ottoman for probably three or four years. It became an altar to me. And then it went into a storage, and it sat in storage for years. And while it was in storage, and we got a coffee table, and I had to move to a chair, and things had changed with my back, and I wasn't having to crawl on my knees in the morning and stuff like that to get about my day. So there was no longer a need to lay across the ottoman, and I was glad to see the ugly thing go because by that time I had determined that it was ugly and should be in no one's home. (laughs) But nevertheless, mom-in-law was having a Bible study at her house and she didn't have enough seating. And I said, you know, I have that ottoman, that ugly red ottoman in my storage. And I said, I'll go grab it and bring it over. And I I, I said, two people can sit on that. So I brought it over and put it in her living room over in the corner. And she said that night before Bible study, that ottoman was sitting and the sun was shining through that particular window and she decided to go sit there. And she said when she sat down on that ottoman, the Holy Spirit came over her. She began to pray in the Spirit. Dawn ran over and sat down beside her and they began to lift up their hands and pray in the Spirit. Because what we don't see... In the natural, in the spirit, when you cultivate, it's not about the ottoman, it's about you cultivating a place where the Holy Spirit becomes accustomed to arriving. You need to cultivate a place in your life where the Holy Spirit is accustomed to arriving. He's very accustomed to arriving in my front, in my car, as, as uh, Becky, still to this day, much of my prayer time is in my drive time. Now, that's not my most intimate times, but I've had some of my best messages come up in my drive time. So my best instructions from the Lord have come up while I was driving somewhere. And I've looked forward to the times when I have to go and minister in, in other churches or, or have meetings, and I have to drive to Modesto or Stockton, and I, and I pray to God that I'm driving alone so that I can have two hours with Jesus because he's sitting in the seat with me. Cultivate an environment where the Holy Spirit is accustomed to arriving. When my mother-in-law sat down there and her thoughts were pondering on the Lord and the things that were to come in that evening Bible study time, the Holy Spirit was like, I recognize that place. Whoosh! Not about the Ottoman. It could be anything, any place that you cultivate and that you clean out and drive out the enemy and establish a place for meeting the Lord.